0: Welcome to This Week in Common Sense, starring Paul Jacob. My name is Timothy Verkula, and I'm going to help Paul run through the big stories of the week that have appeared at and on thisiscommonsense.org. That's where Paul has been publishing daily columns since 1999. Normally, you write five pieces a week. This week, you wrote four because of the fourth. Because of Independence Day. Tim,
1: it's not <laughs> just the 4th of July. You know, almost every year we try to do something to, uh, to recognize Independence Day, but also to recognize it as Independence Day. I don't know. I, I tried to kind of instill it on my children. My parents certainly did their utmost to instill the need to be independent Uh, in me and uh, also in my five siblings and uh, sometimes we lose sight of that and of course calling it July 4th uh, doesn't doesn't get the word independence in so we did a meme and and uh, almost every year do something to uh, to alert people that call it independence day and maybe explain why I want to deal with one of the scripts the one on ideological prejudices uh which i I found out the the west is prejudiced, and uh i want to i want to go into that at some length because i was very pleased to find out that that was the case uh i've been hoping and praying but the the other three scripts accidentally on purpose of course is tuesdays the state of california uh grabbing a bunch of information about gun owners, about people who have, uh, uh, you know, the right to carry permits and so on, uh, conceal carry, and then allowing it to just be, you know, just basically uh, picked up by anybody. Uh, and this was not some hack. It was out there for anyone to stumble into. And it's just, you know, if, if, if they can't keep that information private, then do not collect it. That's the solution. And of course, here there's two problems. One, I don't know why they need all this information in the first place. The Second Amendment is a right to uh, possess weapons. And uh, and and secondly, uh, I you know it just seems to me that there's. a a smidgen of doubt as to whether this was so accidental. I'm not making any charge. Oh, heavens, no. Because I don't have any evidence that they did this on purpose. Did someone say on purpose? No, it was totally accidental. But you be the judge and go read accidentally on purpose. Uh, That was Tuesday's script. And then Wednesday... I think it's worth a read too. Uh, go slow? Question mark. And should we go slow? Well, this is about uh, about folks deciding the the anti-racist racists deciding that somehow it is a white attribute to hurry to make a deadline, and they decided they couldn't make the deadline and that they didn't need to make the deadline because it's a white supremacist thing anyway. And, you know, we, we pointed out the step and fetch it, uh, the, the fact that Black Americans were lampooned and ridiculed and mocked. And I think even then, most people realize this is not emblematic of all Black Americans, but they were put down in essence because they were slow at doing things or, you know, talking or, or moving around. And, uh, you know, that was, it wasn't just racist, it was BS. And so it's what an obnoxious thing from our past, except the anti racist racists want to bring it back. They want to bring it back and embrace what was considered a slight. So uh, go slow. Uh, You know, it's not the first time this has happened, Uh, people may recall, I think we did something about it years ago when the African American Museum uh, was opening in in Washington DC, and they released a, a list of things that were white things like, you know, scoring well on tests and things like, you know, I mean, it was, it was absolutely ludicrous and yet, these are people we're all paying our tax dollars to, and, and they're associated with something to look at Black history, which is, you know, the, the the Black history in America is pretty doggone interesting. And it's hard to learn it and not have a heck of a lot of respect for the Black leadership throughout those years who fought to get full rights. And uh and yet then to turn around and act like somehow basic, you know, the, the idea of being on time or doing a job well or doing a job on time, then it's not, you know, that's not one part of the globe. People everywhere like that. I think everybody listening likes that. and uh, And that's everybody, of course. So uh, so anyway, that's that. Uh, so obnoxious that we have to even discuss stuff like this, but we have to discuss stuff like this because we have people in this world who who they want to rip the country apart on race, and if there's not a good reason, they'll take a bad reason.
0: Another uh, topic they want to rip the country apart on was c- talked about in "Parents Kept in the Dark." Yes, uh, well, that's today's piece, uh, Friday. Yes. And that's an issue about public school boards and so forth. What's going on in your county? I'm one
1: county over either. Oh, it's not River. yours. I'm in uh, Prince William County, and, and we're separated from Fairfax by the Occoquan River. I used to live right on the Occoquan River. That was a nice townhouse uh, back in the day. But anyway, uh, um, Fairfax has long been, I, I, I think, Loudoun County now. Uh, has has more and newer wealth uh, and is the wealthiest country in the county or in the in the country. But I think Fairfax used to be for a long time, a couple of decades. Um, anyway, they are basically developing policies to not only welcome kids changing their gender or picking a new name or what have you at school which we could we could discuss and argue about and you know somehow that that's not really what i envision school to be all about but at the same time as i mentioned in this piece you can understand that there may be kids who you know have questions about their gender or what have you where you'd want at least the teachers to be engaged and thoughtful and helpful and so on and you could imagine situations where they fear the parents are terrible evil abusive parents and they need to somehow protect that kid. But this is not about that. This is this policy is about not having teachers tell the parents across the board. No need to tell the parents anything about what's happening at school even when it involves their child changing clothes, genders, what have, names, what have you. And this is important stuff. And of course, we can all agree or disagree on on every little element of it. But the one element that we should agree across the board is that the default should not be, don't tell the parents. The default should be, tell the parents That's the customer, that's the citizen. The kids are not of legal age, so they can't really be the determiner of of what is gonna happen to them in that school. That's what parents are for. And to rip that away, it shows that frankly, the problem Loudon had with destroying the magnet school and merit-based education at the magnet school in basically not having classes, in, in all the critical race theory and other racism, anti-racism racism, uh, and all of that, they learn nothing. After, after McAuliffe, the Democrat in a state that has elected nothing but Democrats statewide for literally a decade, McAuliffe loses largely because he agreed, you know, parents shouldn't be deciding what happens in the schools and they still don't get it. And here's the kicker. They're not going to get it. They disagree. Maybe they do get it. And they just say, we don't like parents. We really think the state should have taken over at birth. We haven't gotten there yet. We don't have the political, you know, muscle to just rip them out of the, you know, basically rip them out of the womb and take them and go. They've got to, you know, they got to wait a few years before they're old enough to come to school to, to rip them. And uh, and you know, my suggestion suggestion at the end of this piece, I encourage you to go read it at this dot My suggestion is if you can do it, get your kids out of the public schools. This is, and it's not, it's not just Fairfax, it's not just Loudoun, it's not just San Francisco and Seattle. It's all over the country. It's in Texas, it's in Michigan, it's in Wyoming. It's all over the country. And and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's not there in your school district. Go take a look. Let me know. Hey, I also wanted to, and I'll forget otherwise, uh, I wanted to point out one of the quotes this week. Uh, I posted on my personal Facebook page and, and uh, got a lot of discussion back and forth and, and some people pointing out that William S. Burroughs uh, apparently shot his girlfriend. Uh, And of course, uh, his quote here talks about a shooting spree. So I I pointed out that, well, as long as he just had one girlfriend, it wasn't actually a shooting spree. Uh, But uh, tongue in cheek, I'm very sorry. I'm I'm sure this was a long time ago because I believe he's no longer with us and hasn't been for for many years. Uh, And of course, William S. Burroughs, if uh, people aren't familiar, wrote Naked Lunch, was a heroin addict. Uh, certainly not someone you hold up as uh, here. Here's the guy that morally you should follow, but he had something pretty interesting to say. And uh, it's that after a shooting spree, they always want to take the guns away from the people who didn't do it. That's the part that we put on the the graphic. And that's the part that most people I think took away and said, okay, you know, that's right. And, And of course it is. But he went on to say something that I think is worth pointing out as well. I sure as hell wouldn't want to live in a society where the only people allowed guns are the police and the military. And you can look at this from a couple of different ways. You can, as most people will note, we have had people talking about defund the police. We can't trust the police. And then there's been certainly more problems with police violence than we would like. And I think we all across the spectrum, no matter how much we love the police or don't love them, we recognize there are some problems and they need to be fixed. But the idea of giving the police and the military, the government, a monopoly on guns is to say we can 110% trust the government to always have our interests first in their mind, they would never use that monopoly of violence against us in any way that isn't fair and just. And when you're ready to say that, well, then you'll be on that side of the, of the fence. And I'm going to stay on our side of the fence. I can't imagine. In fact, if I ever say that somebody check and see if I haven't ingested some kind of, you know, mushroom or LSD or, or something or, or maybe I just, uh, you know, fell down and hit my head. Um, but but that's, you know, almost the whole debate on guns is is spoken from a position on the pro-gun control side that says, if we make any change to the gun laws whatsoever, it is as long as we, the great left anti-gun folks, uh, as long as we're doing it, we can pretend that that wipes out guns completely from our society. And so if you disagree with us on adding, you know, the gun show loophole or, or adding another criteria for you have to register this or, or, or you know, uh, get a background check that immediately wipes out all gun violence in the, in the country overnight. That's the way it's always treated because it's always, if you're not for this, you want people to die. So of course, if you are for this, we do it and no one ever dies again. That is constantly what they are saying. Listen, read between the lines. And you will see that's exactly what they're saying. Well, that's a complete lie. How does a lie that big get never hardly ever questioned well if you if you watch fox which i always tell my liberal friends you have to frankly you have to because your other channels will not tell you the whole story fox won't either but they'll tell you the part that your liberal channels won't and you know unless you're listening if you're listening to msnbc if you're reading the washington post the new york times listening to cnn any of the networks abc nbc cbs You're going to hear this every time you are going to, if you don't critically think about it, be told again and again, any change to the gun laws that Democrats are proposing are immediately going to wipe out all deaths by guns, immediately going to solve the problem. And and then, of course, if you push them just a little bit, you realize, no, it wouldn't have even solved the last shooting we just talked about that, that we used to justify it. And, um, and as we've discussed on this program, Tim, the number one thing they could do, I think, to stop mass shootings from a gun standpoint is to make that database that they use to check people worthwhile. It's, 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 a, it's a database full of holes. They've had shooters who got their guns when they should have been on that list, but they weren't on that list because the military doesn't turn over. Uh, dispute, uh, domestic uh, uh, violence claims, or other claims against uh, other charges that have been proven against uh, military people. The states are terrible about it. I'd love to see a politician, because frankly, I don't think they really care. It's not that they want people to die. They just don't care enough to get off their duff and actually fight to have a background check that mattered. It's enough to have the flag that you can stick in the ground and say, yes, we got the background checks and remember, now no one ever dies again. That's how they want the world to be. And frankly, unless we do something about it, that's how the world is going to be.
0: Well, I'm very dubious about all those lists. I just for like you say, they don't work. They they aren't made to work. I don't think they're designed to work. It's security theater. And then sort of like the airports, right? We're often told that that's common sense gun reform. That's what the, that, that's what they point to is this kind of thing. Well, to me, the common sense gun reform is actually more like the common sense ideas in, of all people, William S. Burroughs, uh, because that's common sense. Because that actually explains the nature of conflict more than just a program. It's not about a program. It's about the nature of conflict. And the idea of having only the government armed is, of course, absurd. And there's, it goes further. We talked. We talked about a lot of this before. Um, I do want to. I, I can't say correction, but my memory is that William S. Burroughs shot his wife, not his girlfriend, and he did it while
1: he was probably confused about her status and what could uh, he do.
0: Well, it was it was a game of William Tell. She had an apple on her head, and he oh. shot her. And I don't well, think he was in his right mind at the moment. He may and, have been and, on heroin. <laughs> well, he he was a he was a drug experimenter. And I and uh, his real claim to fame in, in among my circles is is the kind of statement we just yes quoted because he was a ranter towards the end of his life he had this gravelly voice and his persona was just he was just strange and it was just fun to watch him.
1: My oldest brother, who uh, worked for the Chicago Tribune, uh, whose political beliefs and mine are not not exactly simpatico, uh, but uh, but a wonderful guy. And, um, and he worked for the Chicago Tribune for, for years, retired recently. And, and, um, and he, when he was in college, took a course, uh, one summer. So it may have been some seminar or something with William S Burroughs. So that's how I first heard about him. And, and, uh, my brother gave me a copy of Naked Lunch and geez, that's, uh, there's enough in there that uh, you I can be very hungry for lunch.
0: Oh, you should dip into the movie for some real. Uh, qu- it's quite an experience. <laughs> quite an experience.
1: Oh, Wait
0: until you see that typewriter turn into what it turns into. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say anymore. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to get the movie. <laughs> but uh,
1: I have a segue here on guns because Abe, the, and I, I can't think of his first name or probably pronounce it correctly, former prime minister of Japan was gunned down, assassinated uh, yesterday, uh, yesterday in, in uh, or maybe it was today in Japan, whatever it is. They're, they were like 12, 13 hours ahead of us. So he was gunned down by someone who I b- believe from what I've read, uh, made the gun himself. It was a homemade gun. Again, just, something to keep in mind when you think, okay, we're going to wipe all guns off the face of the earth. Japan has a very uh, strict anti-gun regime. You can get a gun, but you got to go through all kinds of hoops to do so. And uh, and meaning some people don't get one. And uh, And yet in that sort of society, yes, someone still gets assassinated. The world is not a perfect place. But uh, I was concerned about it because I read just recently that, uh, you know, there's a lot of debate in Japan. They're very concerned about China. Since World War II, they've wanted nothing to do with nuclear weapons. They've wanted nothing to do with any offensive military force. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, you can always blame the Japanese people or the German people. But boy, after World War II, they had no trouble at all. Transition, transitioning to a society that wasn't militaristic and that didn't force them to invade other countries. And they have wanted no part of that. But for years now, they have been awakening to the threat posed by China. Uh, Abe was very good on this. Their new prime minister, I think, is arguably even better. Uh, but uh, but a, a lot of folks are not that, that good. And, uh, and so uh, hats off to him. And of course, Japan has been talking about doing all kinds of things to build up their military, including even accepting nuclear weapons on their territory, Um, and, uh, and certainly has opened up more territory for the U.S. to do things to protect Taiwan. Japan has said that an attack on Taiwan by China is an existential threat if you look at a map and you and kind of get in down where you can see the little islands. Uh, Japan has islands that are physically closer to Taiwan than Taiwan is to China. Uh, Taiwan at the closest is about 80 miles uh, away from China, uh, about 60, 40, somewhere around that miles away are the islands, uh, Sakalu, I think it is, uh, islands that, that stretch down from Okinawa. And, uh, which is a bigger island, um, but all stretching down from Japan. And this is the first island chain and uh, you know these are strategically very important places. Uh, we this week I did a, a script and we've done quite a bit on China and I, I a friend asked me uh, send him some stuff and one of the things I sent him this week was a link to all the China pieces. Uh, that have been tagged that way, not to just mention China, but that are about what's going on in China and Taiwan and, and in uh, East Asia. And, and uh, I sent him a link, and there were somewhere over 100 different scripts that we've done on it. So uh, if, if people go to thisiscommonsense.org uh, and search for Taiwan or China or CCP, Or Xi Jinping, they're going to find a ton of of stuff because I think this is both, you know, Asia has become the engine of of the world economy. uh, And there are wonderful stories of freedom breaking out in, uh, you know, Japan has become a much freer place than it once was. South Korea, in just the last couple of decades, has become much more free and democratic. And Taiwan has gone from, I would say, almost a Mao uh, Zedong-type totalitarianism, uh, kind of the fascist side of of communist dictatorship uh, with Chiang Kai-shek. And so for 40 years after the Chinese military, you know, uh, uh, the nationalist Chinese military abandoned uh, the mainland and went to Taiwan, People tend to think, well, Taiwan was always part of, part of China before that. Well, that's not so. It was part of Japan for 50 years before the end of World War II. And when the Chinese nationalist soldiers went over there, they massacred about 20 or 30,000 people. They didn't keep good records of the folks that they were shooting in front of their family in the in their front yard. So we don't know the exact number, but there's there's incredible history there that frankly, I think much of the world does not know and much of the United States does not know. So Taiwan is not simply China with the nationalists in control. It was its own place, its own land. And it was that way for years. I mean, it was. if you want to go back to the first people who claimed it, we can give it to the Portuguese. But I don't think that makes any sense. The only thing that makes sense is to say, well, there's 24 million people living in Taiwan. What the heck do they want? And that's what our, our policy should be. But anyway, a few years ago, I traveled to Taiwan and I'd followed some of these issues. You know, Tiananmen Square was a, a huge change in, in my outlook on how important democracy was and, and its relevance to the whole world. And so I followed uh, China and, and those issues, not Taiwan as much, uh, because I wasn't aware until I traveled there the incredible history. For 40 years, they had martial law, where Shanghai Kai-shek's folks might drag you away and kill you or, or beat you for a while and torture you and then release you or who knows what. they Whatever the heck they wanted to do. And martial law, which started in 1947, uh, even before they had to, they, they sent national soldiers over there and caused trouble even before they they had to leave the mainland and in, in, uh, in, in a uh, uh, retreat. Um, But until 1986, they had martial law and total government, no rights. And since 1986, as they continued to press, this is the Taiwanese people for more democracy, more freedoms. They are arguably today the freest country in Asia, more free than the Japanese and, and you can argue these things, I recognize. And, and I don't agree with everything in Taiwan. I mean, they have national health care. I don't particularly like that, but so does Great Britain. And Great Britain is a pretty free country relative to the other countries in the world. And Taiwan is arguably freer than Japan, South Korea. Um, and, and after COVID, maybe freer than Australia as well. So, uh, and New Zealand. So it's, it's beautiful to see what has happened. And then you bring, you come back to reality and you realize they're 80 miles away from China that has gobbled up Tibet and uh, is is committing a genocide against uh, the Uyghurs in the far Northwest of China, which of course, traditionally is not part of China, it's East Turkestan. and um, And so, Now, of course, they want Taiwan. Well, why do they want Taiwan? Well, because they want everything, but also because they would like to have all the chip, computer chip manufacturing. Um, An attack on Taiwan and a takeover by the Chinese of Taiwan is from a military geographic strategy, strategic standpoint, a huge deal. From an economic technological standpoint, With Taiwan producing about half of the computer chips in the world and the more advanced half at that um, it's it's a serious deal and the world has been beginning to wake up to it and it went so far that uh, that NATO has come out in their most recent statement this was a couple weeks ago and said We are, one of the things on our radar screen is the threat of, of China. Uh, And of course, the Chinese responded to this by their usual, let's bluster and, and be warlike and scream and cry and, and demand that, oh no, we're wonderful people. Uh, They, they basically said, this is outrageous. And that the West was being driven by ideological prejudice. And to me, we need to be driven by ideological prejudice, by a learned bias against totalitarian military regimes. Uh, the, the buildup, most experts would, would say, the buildup that China has done to their military over the last decade plus is the largest buildup of military forces in the history of the world the most dramatic buildup, and, uh, and that's worth paying attention to, and, and it's nice to finally see uh, NATO doing that, seeing more countries in Europe doing that, seeing the U.S. do that. It's also interesting, this week, uh, we, we saw that the FBI indicted, well, first of all, the FBI and MI5 in, in uh, the U.K. both came out and said, the threats from China in terms of cyber threats, in terms of other threats are very, very serious. And uh, that is, is worth noting. But the, the FBI also, or the Justice Department, indicted five individuals for basically threatening Chinese people in the US who are saying anything critical about China. Two of the five who were indicted are work for the Department of Homeland Security and the federal government. So in other words, this isn't just, and their their names are not Chinese names. Uh, This is China not only acting like a totalitarian bully in China, this is China acting like a totalitarian bully in the United States of America and buying off. U.S. officials, government officials, Department of Homeland Security officials, to do it. This is a pretty darn serious threat. And the other thing that has happened, I think this was just today or yesterday, the uh, there was a meeting between U.S. and Chinese officials, uh, military officials, uh, State Department officials, and the Chinese basically lectured the U.S. that they better we better stop working with colluding. With the Taiwan government or else. And you know, the, the threat is always, the or else is always they'll invade and they'll take Taiwan. And I always think, you know, in in my life, when people say they'll beat you to death or they'll smash your, your car window or slit your tires or something. I always think, you know what, I'm not doing what this person wants me to do. I'm not going along with this person. This person is a mortal enemy to me now, and I'm going to protect myself as much as I can. I'm not looking to get in a fight, but I'm not kowtowing, no, (laughs) good word, Uh, to these sorts of threats. But something we discussed last week just a little bit, I uh, read uh, uh, Ian Easton's book, uh, The Final uh, Struggle, about Chinese strategy globally and so on, and, uh, and how they, they do have a strategy to basically control the world and make it safe for totalitarianism. And uh, which is kind of my life, I'd like to, to put that on the other side of that one. But um, he also wrote a book called The Chinese Invasion Threat. And it's about their threat to invade China. And I read all the time, you know, I spend too much too much of my time, they should dock my pay, uh, reading about uh, Taiwan and China and some of the military stuff, because I don't know the stuff I, I want to educate myself. And so his book, I thought, oh, well, this is it. And it was it. It's a great book, easy to read, about 250 pages, but goes into really deep, deep detail. And of course, what's interesting is that so often we're, We're kind of treated to this. Well, China's really big and they have a huge GDP and they've got all these ships and all these missiles and all these troops. They're 58 times the size population wise of Taiwan. Taiwan's this little island. It's hopeless. There's nothing you can do. China's going to win. The U.S., we're way over here on the other side of the Pacific. There's nothing we can really do. We can't project power there. And and it's finished. And it turns out that that's not quite accurate, that Taiwan is an extremely difficult island to invade and take over. One side of the island, there's not really any ports, there's mountains that you can put artillery and shoot down into the water and blow the crap out of an invading army. The other side, the side that faces China, uh, which would be the west side, uh, very few places that are good for invading armies. Uh, lots of places that you're going to be in the mud, and then there's still these mountains over here where they've got artillery and are going to shoot down on you. And the strait is very rough water, and so you you know it, there's only a couple times a year that it's not rougher than any amphibious assault would want it to be. Uh, He also points out that the U.S., when it was island hopping to get to Japan and we're at the end of the war, World War II, thought about, well, why don't we take Taiwan and that'd be a great base to go against Japan. And they decided against it because it was too difficult to take. And so all of a sudden it dawned on me, well, China hasn't invaded Taiwan. Because they're not capable of taking it so easily, especially if the U.S. intervenes, if Japan intervenes, if Australia, other countries intervene, India, for instance. Um, and so this is a uh, this is a a, a a real change because it's it's easy to kind of look at this and say, oh, big country, small country, big population, small, more missiles, more guns, more troops, but. Taiwan's not trying to attack anybody, so they don't need all that stuff, and there's a lot of ways to stop an invasion. In fact, it's possible that Taiwan could prevent the takeover of the island without U.S. help. Now, unfortunately, a blockade or something like that could be much more problematic over the long term. So having, as uh, President Tsai uh, 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 Ing-wen, the, the Taiwanese leader, has talked about a alliance of democracies makes a lot of sense because in situations like Taiwan, uh, if China knows the US, Japan, other countries are committed to come to the defense, I don't think there's any way in the world that they attack Taiwan because they can't take it. And uh, so knowledge is power. uh, And and I I encourage people because I think most of what you will see will act as if there's no way to stop China. And after reading this book, uh, Ian Easton's, um, there is a way to stop China and Taiwan can do it. uh, And with help from other democratic free countries, uh, I think China will realize it ain't going to happen. And that's, I think that's a huge difference between uh, China takes Taiwan, the West the other democracies in the world say, oh, well, what can we do? Uh, I think it's, I think it's, it basically snowballs into World War III. I think if, if China can't take Taiwan, uh, I think there's hope that, that Asia doesn't get gobbled up.
0: I guess that's uh, independence week for
1: 2022. <laughs> yes, it is. And, and uh, independence for Taiwan as well. Exactly. And of course... As we've said several times, they don't have to come out and declare independence, which, of course, might risk a Chinese invasion. But the truth is, after reading this book, I don't think the Chinese are going to invade if they if they see the U.S. there and Taiwan ready. And Taiwan, I think, is ready.
0: Okay. talk to you next week. Thanks. Okay. bye. Bye. Please go to thisiscommonsense.org to find us on SoundCloud, Rumble, maybe YouTube. And you can always find us with your podcatcher, but thisiscommonsense.org is the best address. Look us up on Facebook, too. That's Common Sense with Paul Jacob.